Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Cornell, I want to take, because I've heard the same thing that Maria Theresa's heard. And I'm thinking, okay, and look, this is a classic hindsight question. It looks obvious now. But at this point, should voting rights have been how President Biden spent his summer and fall and not build back better? Well, a, a couple of things here. One is, uh, I think the, the White House thought that they needed to do some things that, quite frankly, on the front end around the around the economy, and it's the same issue that that that, that Obama was troubled with in, in, when, in 2008 when he came in. You know, look, our economy was in free fall, and there's some things around the economy that we have to do. We have to get the stimulus package. We have to get infrastructure. We know these things are about building our economy and and making us you know more competitive competitive in the future. But I want to step back from this for a moment, so I put on my political hack hat because I'm, I'm I don't know a lot about legislation on the process. And, and I was in focus groups about two weeks ago with young workers. And you know what, Chuck? They don't know a lot about the legislative process either or, or the ideals of filibusters. So to the point earlier, Democrats have to stop talking about the process, at least with voters. I get the inside game, but in the outside game, we got to stop talking about the process and start talking about, quite frankly, you have 50 Republicans who won't even allow the debate to start on the Voting Rights Act, which is mm -hmm. something that the vast majority of Americans want. You have Republicans lockstep uh, against all these Build Back Better measures from child care to, to, uh, to, to senior health issues that the vast majority of Americans want. At some point, there must be a pivot away from a conversation about, about Joe Manchin and what it is that Republicans will not vote for. Cornell, do you think it's been a mistake not to show the, vote, show the public that? Like, you know, Mitch McConnell loves to make Democrats take uncomfortable votes. Uh, Democrats well, haven't he, made Republicans take a lot of uncomfortable votes if indeed these are, and, and I'm talking about not in the big one package, I'm talking individually, you know, make them yeah. vote individually. That's how he would be running things. No, that's, that's, that's right. Look, look, Chuck, I think we've seen this play before going into 2010. <laughs> and I think Mitch McConnell's playing the same, is, is playing the same, is, same, same hands. I hope we as Democrats change that dynamic and actually start playing hardball and, and, and making them take tough. I've known every major world leader in the last 40 years. I've spoken to over 140 heads of state since I've become president. You know what they all ask me? Is America going to be all right? What about democracy in America? Did you ever think you'd be asked that question? And one more question on, on that on the polls, because there have been some recent polls that show that quite a few Americans have some questions about the president's current mental fitness. As somebody who spends 
<laughs> I can see you shaking your head. <laughs> yes. So what's your response to that? I think that's ridiculous. But it's what we're experiencing here. People or across the country, African-Americans want good police officers. They want police officers, a trained police officer to show up when they call police. People in cities, in urban areas, want that. They don't want, you know, um, officers that's going to abuse them. They don't want to defund police. So I think what someone like London Breed, London Breed, who is in a you know, historically uh, liberal city, I think what they're finally realizing is that the silent majority is not the young people who um, you know, don't want people to, you know, want you know, all this bail reform and all that. That's not what people want. That's not what, uh, quite frankly, that's not what most liberal people in this country want. Most people in this country are somewhere in the center. And they want police officers. They don't want police officers that's going to abuse them. They don't want crime. You ask people what the, the single most important thing for them. Yeah, they'll say it's, you know, it's you know, money and the economy. But for the most part, people want to feel safe when they're walking down the streets. They want to feel safe in their homes. When they leave their homes, they want to be safe. And if that can't happen, then you should not be in public service. If you can't make that happen as a, as a, as a leader, as a politician, as someone who's the head of a city, someone who's in charge of crime, then you're not doing your job. So I think, I think and it's not very popular, um, that people need to stop listening to the people who have gone all the way far left and saying, oh, well, you know, we want to defund the police. We need all this sort of bail reform and these people. People who are violent, people who commit crime should be in jail. They should be behind bars. Yeah, but I, they should I do, not be out on the street. I wonder, Don, because, look, she's saying this isn't about liberal policies. But at the same time, what she's proposing is increasing police. That's, that's really the crux of what she's proposing yeah. with a specific eye to the tenderloin, which, you know, if you've been to San Francisco, you know this neighborhood. High crime, but also a lot of drug use, a lot of untreated mental health mental issues. Health. And and, people and who are out on the streets. Yeah, homelessness, a big issue. People yeah. who are out on the streets. And a lot of those people have been put out on the streets uh, recently because of the pandemic. They had them in facilities. And because of, remember, cutting costs, cutting money to facilities that house people like that. We have to think about all of those things. It's, it's got to be a holistic approach. It can't just be about putting a, you know, a big hammer on crime. Uh, but it's all, we have to figure out how people got there to where they are. Um, and you know, that's something that people don't like to think about politically or don't like to talk about politically because it's not easy, right? It's not a, it, it doesn't help them with the, in their re-election bid. Uh, it doesn't help them if you're on you know, some propaganda network and you're trying to use crime as a cudgel to talk. This is a shock to the TV news business. Chris Wallace is one of the, uh, you know, the journalists that is at Fox who stands out like a sore thumb because the network has become more and more, more radicalized, both in the Trump years and now in the Biden years. Final thing that I would recommend is some sort of urgency index, by which I mean we have to know how far away from the disaster of a collapsed democracy are we? Uh, are we making progress towards that collapse or are things getting marginally better? We need some way of locating where we are in political space as what's called democratic backsliding. Well, there's a little truth in, in, in it. As usual, I think Lauren Fox um, go too far. But listen, I think when this story broke, you have to remember in context, hate crimes were on the rise. And I think what a lot of journalism journalists did 
was, uh, you know, they they wanted to be activists on this story, um, and you know, they got a little too far ahead. They they stopped calling the crime alleged pretty quickly. Uh, I don't think you know we asked enough questions initially, but you also have to remember. I mean, according to researchers, less than one percent of hate crimes are faked, are not real. I mean, you'd really have to suspend disbelief to, to think in the immediate. Here at home, Americans are finally getting some relief. Finally, right? Good news, people. We talk so much about bad news. Oh my gosh, inflation. Blah, blah, blah. This is good news. Gas prices are heading south, down. A government forecast, forecast says that they could drop below $3 a gallon. Whew. Finally, some economic relief, however minor. Americans are paying a little less at the pump after weeks of rising energy prices. Relief for the United States as energy costs drop. That pain that you've been feeling at the pump, it may be short-lived. There is finally some relief at the pump. Good news at the pump. Finally getting some relief, as you mentioned. The national average price of gas dropped four cents in the last week. Gas dropped nearly a nickel in the last week. It's a seven-week low. It's moving in the right direction. The average is now at a seven-week low. Actually, a seven-week low. Slightly lower gas prices, so that's good news. Yeah, this is the kind of positive news we've wanted. Yeah, really good economic news, including dropping gas prices. Gas prices will tumble below $3 a gallon soon, so that's good news. person familiar with the White House's thinking told me today that lower prices at the pump are good news. And I do think we have to note that gas prices and natural gas, for example, going way down. There are plenty of signs that the U.S. economy is strong. This economy moving in the right direction. It's not perfect. There are inflation concerns here, but there are a lot of things to be very, very grateful for. Yeah, well, one of the things we look at, guys, is the intensity of how people feel. So we ask people, do you approve strongly, moderately, disapprove strongly? Take a look here. 16% say they approve strongly, but more than double that, 34% say they disapprove strongly. So the intensity is on the side of those who disapprove of the way Joe Biden is handling his job as president. And that, as you know, intensity can be a driving force in American politics. That is a bit of a warning sign. I would note 33% of Democrats, only a third of his home team, approve strongly. So that passion issue is, is something they have to work on. Let's talk about the economy and some of the biggest concerns there. Yeah, well, take a look. We asked folks, is, are, are these various things a major problem or a minor problem in the economy? 80% major problem, rising fuse, uh, food costs. 79% say the supply disruption is a major problem. 77% say housing costs. I mean, these are huge majorities that are agreeing that these problems are major in today's economy. And if you look at how Biden is seen on the economy, take a look here, guys. We tested his approval rating on a whole bunch of issues. Only coronavirus does he have majority support, 54% approval. Everything else, he's underwater. And helping the middle class and the economy, the things he ran on, basically, he's at 45%. The fact is that there is an attitude of uh, uh, lawlessness in our country that springs from I don't know where. Maybe you do. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 19th. Of December, year of our Lord, 2021. That's a nice little intro, isn't it? The hypocrisy is so insane in everything from Biden, him getting mad. You got Don Lemon saying, why, why even call on Fox? Chris Wallace, who became liberal under Trump, leaving. It's a big deal. 
Don Lemon trying to fake the funk on the nasty dunk about the economy. CNN finally having to do a poll that, you know, there's so many polls that show nobody likes what he's doing. And then Nancy Pelosi. So today's going to be a short show. I have a little time to squeeze it in. I have a family Zoom call. I'm hoping next uh, Friday, that would be the 24th, I can do my Christmas show. But this might be the first year I don't get a Christmas show. And I, yes, I hurt myself again. I tore ligaments and tendons just working too hard. I didn't do it. It's not a cool injury. I can give you an antidote that this is how I injured myself. I just did way too much. Been doing too much. And uh, I'm paying the price. I'm old. Um, the litany of from my boss to every person in the hospital talking shit about what the hell are you doing. Sorry for slurping. For my wife literally saying, I told you. I'm going to have to slow down. I have uh, strained ligaments in the elbow, so I'm in a permanent brace, the knee shot, and now the hand shot. Just a note to everybody, if you're going to take like two years off, do not go get a job. It's really heavy duty. Yes, I was a fat sloth, but you don't think the normal things will affect you, but they do. You don't use your hands. You don't use your elbows. You don't do repetitive anything other than the remote. And uh, somehow, some way, uh, pulling like 150 pairs of pants in about an hour and packing it all up in bags and then unloading 30 boxes by yourself and folding everything and hanging it and putting it up so you can try to make good sales. Yeah, not smart. So I have to change my whole role. So hopefully that will entail me taking two days off and it'll entail me not being in braces. So let's get right into it today because I want to just start with Remember, we started here, okay, but there is not a polling firm. There there is nobody out there that can tell you that this guy's doing a great job. You just, it's just not there. I don't know if I can find this guy because I did it backwards. Here's my piece on YouGov Economist data data showing a huge drop-off in support for Biden among young people. The decrease really is quite stunning. 50 points that's his voters mediaite dan abrams crazy shit 28 percent that's his approval rating abc who wouldn't even cover this poll more than two and three, 69% of Americans disapprove of President Biden's handling of inflation, while 57% disapprove of his handling of economic recovery. And then they don't even go into uh, everything else. I mean, there are so many things that are going on that astound you. They just astound you that these people are doing. I, I can't even cover everything since my last part. The reversing showerhead pressure. They're reversing that you can do mail order abortion pills. If Trump did it, they're doing the opposite, even if it hurts us. But I've never done This Is America up front. Today I am, because this is kind of the point of this podcast. Listen to these assholes. 
slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. And I think this vigilanteism is going to catch on. I'll tell you what's going to happen next, Nicole. These red states are going to do vigilanteism laws on immigration. And they're going to empower citizens to go out and round up people they think look like foreigners. And that's what we're coming to in this country. And it is incredibly depressing, especially um, as we're so near uh, a religious holiday that is all about loving other people and accepting the least among us uh, to be part of the larger group. I mean, as you're both speaking, it's clear that we need to bump this up. And this is a four-alarm fire. We should cover it as such. Um, this program has been simulcast on the cooking channel due to Claire's cake behind her, which is... This is going to be our new normal. And uh, the, the effects that we're seeing from climate change are the crisis of our generation. Uh, we're taking a lot of efforts at FEMA to work with communities to help reduce the impacts um, that we're seeing from these severe weather events and help to develop system-wide projects um, that can help protect communities. Of the fate of their loved ones and the debris that you see scattered all over uh, the hurricane's path. They lost their homes, they lost their businesses, and it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And we still don't know how many lives are lost or the full extent of the damage. But I want to emphasize what I... Nancy Pelosi has had her grip on the Democratic caucus for nearly 20 years, but new CNN reporting shows that she may not be ready to hand over her speaker's gavel just yet. Sources say that Speaker Pelosi plans to file and run for re-election and isn't ruling out the possibility of trying to stay in leadership after 2022, despite an earlier vow that she made. And some Democrats have said, you know, they want a different leadership to represent this generational shift that we have seen in the Democratic Party. And I know you talked over two dozen House Democrats for this story. So what did they say about this? Well, look, it, this is uh, this existential crisis that they're going through. They're ready for new leadership. They feel like what happened over the last couple months showed a lot of things that need to change in the way that the House was running uh, and the way that the, they want their leadership to be responding to them. But on the other hand, they're looking at Pelosi and saying she has such a level of relationships and control and experience that they are really actually terrified of what the future will be like uh, without her, what it'll be like to try to stay unified and cohesive as they feel like they, they need to, especially with the political threats and the, the larger questions of what's going to go on with our uh, democracy and political process here. Yeah, and I think, you know, you could say that maybe her grip is not as strong as it has always been. We saw that play out with the infrastructure bill and how those votes went down. But is the Democratic caucus prepared for what a post-Pelosi era would look like? Uh, not, not really, at least so far. But that level of uh, lack of authority, lack of allegiance to authority, lack of deference to her as speaker, that was a problem for Nancy Pelosi as a longtime leader. And looking forward to what a new leader would face, it would be all of that and probably more. Is it even obvious who the new leader would be? Much of the speculation uh, is centered around Hakeem Jeffries, a congressman from New York. Uh, he is someone who has been building himself up in leadership. There's also uh, a, a, some talk around Catherine Clark, who is the assistant speaker uh, from Massachusetts. 
And then Pramila Jayapal, the head of the Congressional Pro Progressive Caucus, I reported in the story. Uh, in Burlington, Vermont, roll call looks a little different than it used to. Night. I know it was a long night. Often just five officers are on shifts for a city of more than 44,000 after Burlington's leaders cut the police force by nearly 30 percent, essentially imposing a hiring freeze. We had huge numbers of people making real demands about changing policing, saying we don't want police to participate in certain kinds of calls for service, we don't want as many police, all of which had real merit, but none of which was being done with any kind of specificity or, or deliberation. In the wake of George Floyd's murder, the city council voted to divert part of its police budget to social and racial justice programs. Working officers began to leave faster than anticipated, down to just 64 in a short period of time. Many who left felt like the city turned on them. Do they tell you why? They do. What have they said to you? The exit interviews have been pretty clear that it was about a, a lack of support in a political sense and a sense of saying that I this is not how I want to serve anymore. I don't feel valued. Councilor Zariah Hightower felt like reform was overdue. We had all these issues leading up to the pandemic and leading up to the murder of George Floyd. For us, it wasn't just a national problem. It was a problem here at home. Burlington police data shows black drivers have long been disproportionately stopped and then searched. And there were recent controversies over use of force involving black men and people with mental health issues. We're a relatively good department, but it's kind of a low bar when you look at policing in America. And I do think that we've got great people in our police department who want to do the right thing, but that's not the same thing as the outcomes. With fewer officers, some routine patrols stopped altogether. They're just not there. Mark Bouchette and his family have owned this home goods store for 35 years. He says the police couldn't respond quickly to disturbances, prioritizing more serious calls. He and his staff felt their absence. They said, we don't feel safe in the evenings. In and that, Burlington, Vermont. In Burlington, Vermont. It's all taken its toll on those who remain. What is the morale right now at the Burlington Police Department? It's in rough shape. I know that what has been expressed to me from officers and even my own frustrations about the job not being able to police as effectively as we once could. Realizing there was a problem this fall, the city council yes. reversed course and voted to bring yes. back more officers. The resolution carries. We're in a situation that I think nobody wanted us to get to. In other words, there are some unintended consequences. Oh, absolutely. The department hired social workers to handle mental health calls and other community issues. I will never betray my badge. My now, Chief John Murad is working to rebuild his ranks. Ultimately, we don't want to defund. We want to fund. Critics accusing Florida's MAGA governor, Ron DeSantis, of combining vigilante-style justice with right-wing culture wars in a new effort to codify white supremacy for political gain. DeSantis proposing a new law that would let parents sue school districts teaching critical race theory a graduate-level framework for understanding racism that no one is actually teaching in regular public schools. It's a variation on the anti-abortion law in Texas that lets citizens sue abortion providers. Critics say this looks like race-baiting political theater since there is literally no evidence of critical race theory being taught in Florida schools. The Florida Board of Education already passed a separate measure banning critical race theory before. And DeSantis announced the plan at a campaign-style event where he tossed hats into the crowd and quoted an MLK, but let's be honest, no one likes quoting MLK more than folks who know they're wrong, from Aaron Rodgers to Ted Cruz and 
now Ron DeSantis. You think about what MLK uh, stood for. He said he didn't want people judged on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. You listen to some of these people nowadays, they don't talk about that. DeSantis calling the measure the, quote, Stop Woke Act. Bernice King, MLK's daughter, blasting the misuse of the word woke to deter the fight against injustice. Florida Congresswoman Frederica Wilson ripping the governor's lies, 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 and more lies. Others calling it a racist dog whistle. Whatever it is, it's part of a growing right-wing trend, with MAGA making it a campaign issue in eight states passing anti-CRT laws. DeSantis now raising the stakes with a vigilante solution, as opposed to, say, I don't know, looking out for kids' test scores. Stand by, Mano. We'll come back to you in a second. But so here's the question. Does he want a deal? I mean, these, this has been on the table for months now. Months, months. The big picture. And then, you know, the House passed the plan. It's been back and forth. If he wanted a deal, he could hand the president or Chuck Schumer or anybody a piece of paper that says, here it is. This is all I can vote for. Take it or leave it. Instead, we keep doing this. Right. I mean, he is a man who is clearly not in a hurry to get get this done, which is in such a contrast to the rest of the party. Obviously, there's no forcing mechanism here to get Build Back Better done by the end of the year. There's no government shutdown, no debt default. And Senator Manchin understanding the leverage and the influence that he has is pointing to a litany of things uh, to show that he is not yet ready to get on board and may not be by the end of this month. And as every every day goes by, it seems less unlikely that this will get done by the end of the year. To that point, to the litany, just forgive me for interrupting, but to the litany point, let's listen, let's listen. Depending on which day you ask Senator Manchin what's the problem, you might get a different answer. I, I get inflation, um, sure. I get the debt, sure. Um, how would providing home care or more child care or taking some steps to protect the climate uh, impact 100,000 troops on the Russian-Ukraine border? Can you help me with that one? Uh, <laughs> um, I, I wish I could. I think, I think uh, 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 what I am not hearing is this will get me to yes. Right. He's, and I know they, they don't like to negotiate with the press. That's fine. We disagree. But, um, <laughs> but, but you're not hearing, you know, what, this is what's going to get well, me to yes. And well, you're not even hearing that from behind the scenes. You're hearing more problems and more problems and more problems and more reasons. And the what ifs uh, are only more likely if they don't do anything on voting Perhaps. rights uh, because of all of these moves in the states, Christian, towards nullifying voting, not just suppressing the vote, making it harder to vote, but actually changing the secretaries of state and the officials who would be choosing, you know, who decides the elections, the state elections, we saw what could happen in Georgia, and also the presidential election, the electors. Yamiche Alcindor, now you had uh, the NAACP, Derek Johnson, and other leaders on a virtual call, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, yesterday with key members of the Senate, because they believe, and we heard this passionate appeal from, of course, Senator Warnock the other night, mm. uh, that, that if you can change it for the debt ceiling, which is important, which he voted for, but he said, you know, to Rachel Maddow that it was a real moral dilemma for him to vote for the debt ceiling and do that work around, yet they can't do it to save the democracy and save minority voting. I'm hearing from Democratic activists who say they don't see enough urgency but in the Democratic Party for voting rights. And they say, look, this is not just about sort of voting rights overall. Let's also remember that there are states, including North Carolina, that were accused of, of, of targeting African-American voters in particular with surgical precision. We've seen so many GOP lawmakers across the country um, moving to change the voting laws in this country. Um, it's something that people say is really a slow January 6th, sort of wiping away and, and chipping away at the Democratic um, norms in this country. 
country. So, of course, when he goes to South Carolina tomorrow, the president, I'm sure, is going to be hearing an earful. And I've been hearing an earful from Democratic activists who say they want... Listen, I am pro-life. I believe that when you look at an ultrasound and you see a heartbeat, that is a life. But this Texas law does not foster a culture of life. It fosters a culture of divisiveness, uh, vigilantism, mm -hmm. and... The fact that Gavin Newsom says, oh, what a great idea. Let's do that to enforce my pet issues. That is a disaster. You do not answer bad laws with more bad laws. And I am very fearful that going into 2022, when the court does rule, uh, I think they will gut Roe in some way. And then we will not have a nationwide debate about abortion. We will have a 50-state debate about abortion. And now it, it, we, we might apply those tactics to other divisive issues mm -hmm. like gun rights. I mean, it, this is a recipe but for see, disaster. It seems to me that if you're pro-life, then you would be pro-life across the board in terms of protecting the sanctity of life, right? Sure. So pro-lifers should be supportive of Gavin Newsom's law. But right. Because pro, wait, let me finish. Yeah. So pro-life would mean that you are um, uh, in support of... Um, or against, rather, um, the death penalty. You would be against the manufacture of weapons of mass destruction. You would be against the manufacture of instrumentalities of death, like guns. And so I think that, you know, what Gavin Newsom is doing is perfectly appropriate in line with what the Supreme Court is, has, has held, that private citizens may be able to sue um, anyone and anywhere, anytime, from any state. Well, so what's good for the goose is good for the game. Yeah, I just, I, it's not the time, so it was never going to be good, but I really applaud Governor Newsom because it may not hold water. I mean, this is the Second Amendment. It's not going to be a, something that gets pushed through, but I commend him for saying that was not a good model, so we're going to show you how this, can, this pendulum swings two ways. And it so, sort of shows you that the Supreme Court is political. And full of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So, well, I mean, that, that exposes them to the country. I think it's an important piece of legislation, even if it is not going to work. Yeah, but I just wish we wouldn't work? pick well, people to go. I mean, what's to the say court that you can use opinion. this law to say, I want the schools to uh, teach my kind of curriculum. Well, that's and what's we happening, can go babe. Yeah, but now that's you want to take happening. it to the courts and give them a $10,000 bounty incentive to do it? Well, this I, tactic is destructive. Well, and they shouldn't have introduced it. They do, shouldn't have introduced it in the first place. Yeah. But now they've opened up They've opened up the door to it. The door to it. And yeah, it's just, you watch and see how many folks come running through. Because the bottom line is, really, has always been, I too am pro-life. No one that I know who has had an abortion yeah. went willingly or happily. They went because they had to go, because they didn't have a choice. But the proponents of this law are saying that the goal is to safeguard life. The goal of Gavin Newsom's... There is so much hate i'm just gonna place card these two even the atlantic said this is just a mess and they read emails and we covered this right we we covered this i i don't even understand how you can not see that this is all bullshit you got biden 145 countries says is america all right no they didn't but the media just shrugs that they actually read stuff on air. I mean, because they hate everybody. They hate their own people. I mean, seriously, if you hate your own people because they won't do what they want you to do or what you want them to do, what does that say about everybody else? They just get more mad and mad. I mean, it's the old adage that they get mad when they win. 
Well, they're just mad and mad, mad because they can't get everything. They they can't get what they want. And it's just unbelievable. I mean, we got these articles. That's not a conservative site. It all flopped. We all knew it was flopped. They thought they could run on it. They literally thought they could run on January 6th and they get away with all this. There's articles, the dangerous rise of anti-woke men because people won't do what they want. And then they go back to COVID. What's this? Biden warns of illness. We're going to, here we go, listen. A direct message to the American people. During the steps we've taken, Omicron has not yet spread as fast as it would have otherwise done. And that's happening in Europe. But it's here now and it's spreading and it's going to increase. For unvaccinated, we are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for unvaccinated. For them se- Another dark winter. Didn't we try this before? And in those sound bites, you hear them going after cinema and mansion. of independents, my friends, don't believe in it. I watched Sun Night Live last night. Literally, they're locked down. They're locked down. You saw FEMA chief. They're trying climate change. They think that's going to work. Yet the man calls it a hurricane because he doesn't know. So then you have articles. Can he tell the difference part? I don't think he can. But one of the worst things they did this week in his democracy, they cut the feed for the Taiwan envoy and then said they didn't do it because they think they can just keep lying. I mean, here's Molly Hemingway. I'm not going to play it. It serves zero legislative purpose to read private texts like this one of the reasons it is in violation of its own charter and also falsely representing Liz Cheney as required ranking member when it has none because Nancy Pelosi kicked the real ranking members out. But they don't do it. Hemingway wrote a crazy good article. January 6th committee is breaking every norm going after hundreds of people for political speech. Motherfucker, I can't download it. It's a great soundbite. And it's so true. This is all just hate. I mean, if you're going to reverse shower heads, it's just fucking hate. They're fact-checking the Bidens who did tax avoidance. That, we're still going after Trump's taxes. We're, we're still going after him. Why? He's not even the president. But they're so full of hate. Just fucking hate. There's articles. January 6th was a practice for Trump and his allies trying to scare people. Uh, How Donald Trump could subvert the 2024. January 6th committee fabricates more evidence. Adam Schiff fabricated messages from Mark Meadows. And they admitted it, but the media ignored it because it doesn't fit their agenda. It just doesn't fit their agenda. Tell me of a conservative, a conservative 
panel fabricated shit, that would be okay. Tell me that would be all right. It wouldn't be. But they just made shit up because they don't fucking have anything to go on. January 6th was a bad day. But it was a conspiracy. It wasn't this huge thing trying to take over the government. Some assholes did some bad things. Well, you fanned the flames and rejoiced. And your assholes burning whole cities, federal courthouses, beating officers, murdering people. We didn't even care. Then the hurricane. Just to show how evil these people are. Or the hurricane. Look at I'm doing a fucking buy now. The tornadoes. We should do all we can to help our Kentucky neighbors. God be with them. They are hurting. But do not for one second forget that Rand Paul has voted against helping most other Americans. There are so many. Just so fucking many. It's just unbelievable. John Heilman insists it's not hyperbolic to say that 30 million Americans are ready to grab their muskets and reinstate Trump. And this goes into our fucking spin to start off the spin. I am the media jerk off of the week. So hot. I'm going to read what Mark Gelman wrote in that cover story for The Atlantic. Some might say this is hyperbolic, but John Hellman, I'm curious if you think it is. The headline is Trump's next coup has already begun. Trump and his party have convinced a dauntingly large number of Americans that the essential workings of democracy are corrupt, that made-up claims of fraud are true, that only cheating can thwart the victory at their polls, that tyranny has usurped their government, and that violence is a legitimate response. Hyperbolic or fact? Fact, I think. And, and I think the thing about the strength of this Gelman piece is it lays out, first of all, the extraordinary reality that there's this research that shows that something like at least 8% and maybe as many as 12% of the American people now say that Joe Biden was illegitimate and that violence is an appropriate tool to removing him and restoring Donald Trump. That's somewhere between 20 and 30 million people. That's a mass movement in America in favor of political violence, which is a new thing. We've had political violence in America before, lynching many things over the course of time that African-Americans suffered from. But this is 30 million people right now who are ready to take up arms. You put that together with what the president, the former president, I should say, and his allies are doing in the political realm, state houses, state legislatures, and the party apparatus to be able to engineer a situation where they are in a stronger position to pull off a coup in 2024 than they were in 2020. That's not hyperbolic at all. Those are all facts. You are playing producer here. In fact, I have a scroll here of everybody the former President Brendan has endorsed that has a role in certifying elections. I'm not included members of Congress in here. He's gotten involved in state Senate races, state House races, and there is just one litmus test, just one. Um, this is this feels as if we're entering. Uh, a place that is going to get darker and darker if the election is less than 1% on any level. Yeah, I don't actually, I'm not too concerned about voting laws in Georgia and Texas, and I know some people may disagree with that. What really concerns me is people like Jody Heiss, who's a Freedom Caucus member in the House who's running for Secretary of State in Georgia. Now, the only reason he is running for Secretary of State in Georgia is he wants to take out Brad Raffensperger, who is the Georgia Secretary of State, who 
pushed back on all of Trump's claims and said that the election was not stolen there. Now, if, if we have people all across the country who are put in the position where they will not uh, uh, confirm or uh, certify a, an election result, that's the nightmare scenario that I'm worried about. And, and he, it's very clear that that's what they're trying to do all across the country. And then you take it a step further. Um, the real nightmare scenario is a GOP Congress in the House that won't certify a, 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 a Democratic election down the road. But uh, I think some of those things are, are the, the, the things that people talk about the most right now, the voting yeah. laws, those are not actually the real big concern. You've seen the president's poll numbers drop. Does that bother you? You know, I look at it a little differently, Rita. During the campaign, Joe made certain promises, things that he would do. And we were going through a pandemic, which no one could have anticipated. So he did come in and rescue America. So do you figure once the public kind of comprehends this, things will turn around? I do, I do. We got to observe the bond between the Bidens when we traveled aboard Air Force One with them just a few days before Thanksgiving to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and we saw that Biden family spirit at the White House this past Monday, where Dr. Biden's holiday decorations have drawn rave reviews. But as President Joe Biden joined us... So thank you so much, Mr. President, for giving us your Are time. You <laughs> Are you kidding? Are you kidding? It was clear that um, both Bidens understand and, and that unity but, is an elusive goal. This has been a hard year. Yeah. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You know that various things that you've done have gotten a lot of criticism. You've had a hard time getting the other side to work with you. You know, don't you ever feel discouraged about no, this? No. And doesn't the criticism get to you? And how does Dr. B help you through that? Well, you know, I, I guess it should get to me more. But look, one of the things we did decide and I mean this, my word is a bite. I know what I'm willing to lose over. You mean you're willing to lose your presidency? My presidency. Because you're going to stick right, with it. That's right, because that. I'm going to stick with it. And from the perspective of First Lady Joe Biden. No matter where I travel across this country, a lot of people say to me, Jill, I feel like I can breathe again. Thank you. Please tell the president Thanks. This weekend on CBS Sunday Morning, Rita Braver speaks with President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden reflecting on their first year in the White House. It's a rare Camp David interview, and Rita asked the First Lady about the president's political opponents. I think a lot of people would find it hard to believe that you don't get frustrated when you feel that Republicans are really trying to block the president's agenda. He keeps working at it. He's an eternal optimist, and he keeps working, uh, Rita, like almost 24 hours a day at creating relationships with Republicans as well as Democrats to push his agenda forward. It's that important. He doesn't ever come home and say to you, these such and such as, I can't believe what they're doing. Well, he might. Uh, make a disparaging remark once in a while, but I'm telling you, he, he believes, as he always has, he's always worked with both sides of the aisle, and that is what he will continue to do. 
an optimist. Rita Braver's full interview with the president and the first lady airs this weekend on CBS Sunday Morning. I like the first lady saying he might make a disparaging remark once in a while. <laughs> that's called. The and we've learned by hard lessons how to change construction. The Japanese have learned this as well and, and other places around the world to deal with earthquakes and to deal with, you know, hurricanes. Look at New Orleans coming back from, from death and destruction. What do we need to learn about how to build better in the Southeast, yeah. let's say, in the Midwest? Well, you know, we need to pass Build Back Better because that, uh, that bill has climate provisions that will address this problem at its, you know, uh, at its core, which is the warming of the planet due to carbon pollution, fossil fuel burning. So that's most important. We can prevent this from getting worse if we act on climate now. That having been said, as you allude to, some of these impacts are now baked in. We are going to need to deal with this. That means uh, greater resiliency. That means uh, uh, adaptive measures um, to help deal with the impacts of these destructive storms. So it's really both. It's adapting to the changes that we're already forced to deal with and preventing it, most importantly, from getting worse. What does all this really mean? Mm -hmm. Let's bring in CNN chief business correspondent Christine Roman. So when it comes to higher prices, I mean, look, we can all attest to that. We've seen it in different areas. What does this report tell us? I mean, these are the numbers that really quantify the gut punch for American mm. consumers, right? That gut punch that feels like it really peaked there in November. 6.8% is a big number. I mean, you're going all the way back to the 80s when, you know, Stevie Wonder and Ebony and Ivory was atop of the charts, right? We were wearing clogs and satin jackets. I mean, this is something we have not seen in modern times, numbers like this. And you look at a line chart of inflation and you can see this is the worst uh, in years and certainly uh, the most meaningful price inflation we've seen in, in, uh, in, in our recent memory, you strip out food and energy, um, and this growth rate is 4.9% year over year uh, and half a percentage point, half a percent um, just for the month from October to November. And it has been energy driving much of this. You've seen that. We've talked about gas prices. And those those prices have been moderating in the past few weeks, which is why some economists are saying they think this might be the worst. Um, you can see that uh, you had some really sharp core Core, uh, core rates earlier in the year, and that appears like it might be moderating a little bit here. We also know that the shortages because of supply concerns, we're hearing from uh, CEOs and we're hearing from the White House, and we're hearing from supply chain managers that they're starting to see how those are going to work themselves out. But demand is strong. I mean, this is a sign of a really strong economy, guys. People are rushing out all at the same time to buy the stuff they want after we've been in a huge pandemic. All of that is lies. They just spin anything. If we really gauged inflation the way it used to be gauged, do you know what a inflation would be? Be 19%. But they changed it. I mean, in there, David Frum, we talked, well, we talked last podcast. He justifies it all, all week. He justified not serving people with. COVID, or excuse me, if you're not vaccinated, if you're not vaccinated, you don't get anything else. Now, let, let's look at something. New email dump shows Anthony Falke and Francis Collins coordinated a propaganda campaign to attack the Great Beringer Declaration last October. 
Because they did donate, and they know it. Just days after CNN maskless ugly sweater party, Brian Keller tests positives, and then they just go on TV and they say, hey, be safe, folks. Just be safe. Now, would that work for Fox hosts? Unmasked? Oh, we'd have a fucking meltdown. Jesse Drucker, why are New York City school kids still forced to do so much remotely? He's a New York Times reporter, a journalist, supposedly. I mean, what the fuck? What the actual fuck? You fucking people. You can't have it both ways. You can't just keep making shit up. Here's a professor editing the Constitution redo, the first two amendments. The first and second amendment tend to be interpreted in aggressively individualistic ways that ignore the reality of conflict among competing rights. The second amendment idiosyncratic and anachronistic, I can't say that word, focus on militia and arms degrades the concepts of self-defense. The right to safeguard one life should not be conflated with or reduced to the right to use a weapon, especially a weapon that is so much more likely to inflict an injury and death than to avoid it. Far better would be an amendment that guarantees a meaningful right. All people have the right to bodily autonomy consistent with the right of other people to the same including the right to defend themselves against unlawful forces and the right of self-determination and reproduction matters because this they they are still freaking the fuck out about abortion planned parenthood know this the impact of abortion restrictions falls hardest to those who already face discriminatory practices now let's just remember that's why Planned Parents there. That's why Margaret Singer was there as eugenics. Get rid of them darkies. That's the why they changed the name of their place. The road in front of their building is no longer Margaret Singer Boulevard because she was a racist. Then tell me, a, a real media, why are all Planned Parenthoods in urban areas where black people live? Predominantly the black prom- population. Because that's where they make their money. They prey on young black girls. Amy, stop fucking Republicans until they give women their bodies back. Yeah, we're doing that again. Mm -hmm. And then these are the thinkers. These are the people that we're all supposed to listen to. And I I love this graphic, so I'm just leaving it up today because this is who we're dealing with. They will just lie and lie and lie, and the media will lie for them because why tell the fucking truth? Why? Ian Milheiser, someone asked me at a party the other night how worried I am about the future of the United States. And my response was, I'm not saying that you will need to use this plan, but it's a good idea to have a plan to relocate to a democratic nation where you speak the language. Because now, they tried January 6th, didn't work. They said they were going to stop COVID. Well, that fucking ain't working too good because more people have died under Biden than actually Trump. And blue states are fucking the highest case of Omicron and Delta are in blue states. Again, that's why you don't hear about it. You're not hearing about Florida anymore. Even though Florida tested the poop and they realized all of it has Omicron, yet they don't have a lot of cases. And all these people that are vaccinated are getting COVID. I'm vaccinated. I don't get COVID. I don't wear a mask anywhere but work. I got people coughing in my fucking face. Makes me think a lot of these people say they were vaxxed, didn't get vaxxed, because last year it was, don't take Trump's vaccine. I ain't putting it on my body. 
CNN, outdoor activities are steeped in racism. Really? There were like 500 of these articles when the Supreme Court overturned a 41-year-old precedent three years ago and ruled that public employees have the right under the First Amendment to free speech guarantee not to pay union dues. Justin Lin and Kay accused the five-four majority of weaponizing the First Amendment. Her powerful dissension opinion in Janus versus American Federation of States, County, and Municipal Employees helped propose the weaponizing image into a circulation as an apt description of how the court's conservatives were hijacking the First Amendment. Now it's weaponizing abortion. No, it's not. I want to lay it out one more time. We were told when Coon Man Northman said that we're going to let a live baby just get thrown in a garbage can. That, that's what he said. And Virginia, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Washington, California, which is now an abortion state, passed laws saying, oh, by the way, you can abort the baby up until the last day. They were codifying Roe. Those are the words everybody used. That was the catchphrase. It went out in Talking Points Memo, and all of them went with it. Well, here's the deal, boys and girls. Roe says 24 weeks, so they already restricted abortion. And that was at a time when we didn't have sonograms. We didn't have 3D imaging. We didn't know or have the capability to have 18, 19-week babies live. We have so much technology now. So you got a million Americans running around with 3D images of that clump of cells, you call it. Seeing faces, hands, and features that look just like you. And we have medical capabilities that if it does come preemie, it's usually going to live. So why wouldn't we restrict it more? Science! And we still have this. First Lady Biden and Second Gentleman visit Children's Wisconsin for COVID-19 clinic and meeting with Wakizan Christmas Parade visit. The Boston Globes. Jill Biden meets with family victims of parade crash. What? What the fuck's a parade crash? What's a parade crash? I don't know what a parade crash is. I mean, literally, what the fuck is a parade crash? And I want you to rewind the tape 12 months ago. This is the press secretary. Isn't this threatening the media or some shit, ripping the Constitution? I don't remember a lot of hyperbole out of fucking CNN. Thank you, Jen. You're not going to believe this. I have another question about Build Back Better. I'm ready. Uh, so the president says that the Build Back Better is not going to add a penny to the deficit. The CBO has this new score uh, where they assume that social programs are going to be made permanent. And in that case, it would add almost $3 trillion. So does that mean that President Biden will commit that these programs are not going to be made permanent? Well, first of all, what we're, you're talking about here is a fake CBO score that is not based on the actual bill that anybody is voting on. This was a ask request by Senator Graham to score a bill that is not currently being debated. Uh, that is her prerog- his prerogative to, to, to do. Uh, but what our focus is on is on the existing bill that will lower the deficit, uh, that will also, over an additional 10 years, 
pay for the $2 trillion tax cuts that Republicans didn't pay for. They're welcome for that. So I would say, Peter, to your uh, question, the president has conveyed very clearly, multiple times publicly, that he would like programs, if they're extended, to be paid for. That remains his commitment. But it's important to understand that when you, when anybody raises a question about this new CBO score, it is a fake score about a bill that doesn't exist. Uh, and we should really focus on the actual bill. Everybody's. Go ahead. Um, there are several progressive groups and lawmakers who are uh, increasingly vocalizing the idea that inflation, high inflation, is being driven by corporate greed, uh, including uh, companies with high profits, some of whom have met at the White House with the president uh, in recent months. Um, does the president endorse that idea? Does he think that corporate greed is the big driver of inflation right now? Well, I think that the president thinks the way people across the country, American families, uh, digest inflation is by price increases. And if you look at industry to industry, it's a little different. So, for example, the president, the secretary of agriculture have both spoken to what we've seen as the greed of meat conglomerates. That is an area when where people go to the grocery store and they're trying to buy a pound of meat, two pounds of meat, 10 pounds of meat. Um, it is the prices are higher. That is, in his view, uh, and the view of our Secretary of Agriculture, because of, you could call it corporate greed, sure. You could call it uh, jacking up prices uh, uh, it, during a pandemic. Uh, there are other areas where we've seen increases uh, as, because of supply chain issues, and we're seeing those increases around the world as it relates to gas prices, uh, oil supply, and things along those lines. So I would say there's some areas uh, where we have seen uh, corporations uh, benefit, profit from the pandemic, uh, and uh, and certainly the president would agree with that component. I, I don't know the full context of all of their remarks. Thank you, Jen. Why is it that there are still Americans stranded in Afghanistan? Well, I think, uh, let me just reiterate something that Tony Blinken said back in August, which is that if Americans who are in Afghanistan wanted to leave, whether it was three weeks from now, a month from now, two months from now, back in August, we would help them get out. And that is something that we've delivered on our word on. I would note that since that time, we've directly assisted 479 American citizens, 450 lawful permanent residents, and SIV holders and SIV applicants to depart Afghanistan. Uh, that was That's important to convey because it's uh, it's important for people to understand who are there that even if they decided not to, even if they decided not to today, we are still going to help them depart. And there's evidence of that. Okay, 479 left behind is a lot higher than the 100 to 200 that President Biden was talking about at the end of August. 479 who we've helped depart right. since and August. He said uh, that he thought that there were, we believe there are 100 to 200 uh, with some intention to leave. So how did the number, how did you guys get the number? There were people who wanted, determined they wanted to leave since then, and it is our responsibility to help them depart. And so that's evidence of our commitment to do exactly that. And is this something, as there are now at least or about a dozen who want to leave right now, is this something the president works on every day? Certainly, he receives regular updates from his team, and we, uh, the State Department uh, and other national security officials really, really lead this effort. I would just reiterate that the United States does not track or put a tracker on American citizens traveling overseas, uh, whether they're in Afghanistan or any country around the world. That would be quite a Fox News story, wouldn't it be, if we did that? We don't do that, but we do provide a range of services even when we don't have a presence in a country. And our efforts to get American citizens out of Afghanistan, many of them dual citizens, many of them who've lived their whole lives there since that time is evidence. It's a quick follow-up on the debt limit. Mm -hmm. What do you say to Americans who see this as yet another example of Congress kicking the can down the road? Uh, well, I would say that uh, in what way? I'm not sure who, who is saying that. It until 2023, but it's going to come up again right after the midterms. 
What do you say to people who say we're just going to be having the same conversation a little bit over a year from now? I'm not sure what American person is saying that or is concerned about the debt limit, but maybe there is somebody you've met on the street. I don't know. But I will say that, um, you know, our view, the president's view, is that this has been done in a bipartisan way. The American people shouldn't be worried about whether or not elected officials are doing what they should do and raising the debt limit to make sure we're covering bills that have already been incurred, which I think is sometimes a misunderstanding out there. We're not talking about future spending or the size of the Build Back Better package. I'm not saying you're suggesting that at all. Um, and that, you know, I think the president would uh, would convey that uh, this is something that should just be done in due course, as it's been done more than 80 times, to quote Josh, in the past, uh, and that it shouldn't be something that consumes weeks, months of time. It should be done because we want to avoid default. We want to ensure people are getting their Social Security benefits, that retirees are being paid military, uh, and that there's no uh, risk to the U.S. economy. Go ahead. How could she go on there and lie like that? And say big meat. We had big poultry. Uh, it, the price of gas is COVID. Then it's the greedy oil companies. I mean, th- fuck these people. Just make shit up. There's still people in fucking Afghanistan. They they just spin out. They spin out because they can. Because we have a media that just doesn't care. This is a BBC reporter. She's with him when he went to Kentucky and sniffed little girls' hairs. I'm with the president in Mayfield. Her name's Tara McKevley. Uh, looking at destruction, there's a Trump flag. And when Biden got out of the motorcade, someone called, let's go, Brandon. They said it twice. Look at her face. She's just, oh, my God. But this can happen when you have, why isn't one anyone listening to Joe? This was on December 6th. I won't waste your time reading it because it's like, well, he's doing the right things. He is communicating, even though we don't know what the fuck he's saying. And it's just you, you fucking rubes. But more and more people see who's leading us. I have to file this under lighter fare with the little bumper about laughing because these two fucktards were in they're in charge of us. And Mr. President, it is an honor and, of course, a pleasure to be here at this time of challenge and with the coronavirus, financial insecurity for families, national disasters, and more. Our country could not be more, could not be better served than with this most experienced, capable hands than yours, President Biden. He's just perfect. Somewhere past the pandemic, when we're free, there's a life I remember full of activity. Somewhere past the pandemic, masks will come off. No more 
her need for a nose swab every time we cough. As we are gathered here today, COVID's toll has hit and sent us reeling. But partners like the ones right here will help to make the pathway clear to find a true healing somewhere past the pandemic life will resume we'll all complain about the traffic forgetting how we hated zoom somewhere past the pandemic we'll hug our friends and thank the people and science that brought the pandemic's end. My dozen years are almost through, but it's been great to work with you. Let's end COVID now. Thank you, HHS. Produced by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Nobody believes Nancy. And that guy was, he's one of the people that tried to fucking suppress us finding out that it happened because they gave money to Wuhan and then it got out. But you just don't even hear it. Because of people like this. Listen to these sound bites. They're still trying the George Bush method. Blame Trump. Well, look at the time. I'll try to keep this brief. After 28 years of peacock logos on much of what I own, it is my choice now to jump without a net into the great unknown, as I do for the first time in my 62 years. My biggest worry is for my country. The truth is I'm not a liberal or a conservative. I'm an institutionalist. I believe in this place, and in my love of country, I yield to no one. But the darkness on the edge of town has spread to the main roads and highways and neighborhoods. It's now at the local bar and the bowling alley, at the school board and the grocery store. And it must be acknowledged and answered for. Grown men and women who swore an oath to our Constitution, elected by their constituents, possessing the kinds of college degrees I could only dream of, have decided to join the mob and become something they are not, while hoping we somehow forget who they were. They've decided to burn it all down with us inside. That should scare you to no end as much as it scares an aging volunteer fireman. To my coworkers, my love and thanks, and I say again, everyone I've worked with has made me better at what I do. To my family, love and thanks doesn't begin to cover it, but now I have the time to better express it. My friends know who they are. No one's been blessed with better friends. To the guests on this broadcast, as you heard the nice man say a few minutes ago, it's always been about you. Otherwise, I'd be staring into the camera for an hour, five nights a week, and nobody wants to 
to see that. You are the 11th hour and will continue to be the 11th hour. This is where I thank you, however, for being so great for explaining these last five years. As a proud New Jersey native, this is where I get to say regrets. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. What a ride it's been. Where else, how else was a kid like me going to meet presidents and kings and the occasional rock star? These lovely testimonials that I can never truly repay make me hyper aware that it has been and remains a wonderful life. It's as if I'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning in Bedford Falls. The reality is though, I will wake up tomorrow in the America of the year 2021, a nation unrecognizable to those who came before us and fought to protect it, which is what you must do now. My colleagues will take it from here. I will probably find it impossible to be silent and stay away from you and lights and cameras after I experiment with relaxation and find out what I've missed and what's out there. Every weeknight for decades now, I've said some version of the same thing. Thank you for being here with us. Us, meaning the people who produce this broadcast for you. And you, well, without you, there is no us. I'll show myself out until we meet again. With Justice Sotomayor asking whether the court would survive the stench of being considered a political institution. Surviving the stench, in the words of Justice Sotomayor, possibly the only remaining question about the Mississippi case is where we start today. The Senate sponsor said, we're doing it because we have new justices on the Supreme Court. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates? To come back to Justice Sotomayor's point, what do they do? about the stench. I worry deeply about the court's ability to survive what she called that political stench. What Justice Sotomayor said today about the stench. Justices Sotomayor and Kagan um, used their time today to talk about their quote was the stench of the court. What is? Yeah, I mean, I, I have started calling them just the get them born and then it's your problem party because, right, they're very much interested in birth, but they don't seem to be interested in life, meaning educating children, providing health care for our citizens, preventing people from dying from gun violence, preventing kids from not having to do school shooting drills, right, and, and know how to respond when they think there's a mass. Zerwick, how do you view this, this landscape suddenly changing with Cuomo's departure? It's a, it's a huge thing, and that's a big part of this story, Brian, I think, is that Chris Cuomo, as a performer, as talent in that 9 p.m. time slot, did a terrific job. I mean, he did a terrific job. He had almost a million viewers a night. He was competitive uh, in the toughest primetime time, time slot there is. That complicated it, I'm sure, for CNN when they were dealing with him because he was do so successful as a performer in that time slot. Listen, I'm missing, I'm, I'm, I have separation anxiety about Brian Washington, it's MSNBC, but I have separation anxiety about Brian Williams leaving at 11 o'clock because it means so much. To that dramatic point this week from Justice Sotomayor, there are renewed rumblings that Democrats might consider making changes to the Supreme Court. The Washington Post reporting it this way, this week's Supreme Court argument on abortion has accelerated an urgency among Senate Democrats to fundamentally alter how the court operates 
fueled in part by lingering anger over Republican confirmation maneuvers that have led to three new conservative justices in the past four years. Two of our friends are back with us tonight. Don Calloway, Democratic strategist, founder of the National Voter Protection Action Fund, and Susan Del Percio, MSNBC political analyst and a veteran political strategist. Good evening to you both. Susan, this is a layup shot for you. Let me put it this way. Who thinks that a party that was clowned into putting Kavanaugh uh, and Barrett on the court that still acts as if McConnell is in charge of the filibuster, is going to gather <laughs> the votes, the guts, and the ability to somehow pack or alter in any way the Supreme Court. Well, now that I hear there's an urgency from Senate Democrats to do it, I, I know they will write a strongly worded op-ed for several major newspapers and make their anger known and then do absolutely nothing because there's nothing they can do. That sentence at the beginning of that Washington Post piece could have gone to anything, whether it be voting rights, police reform, gun safety reform. You have to, it's critical that the Democrats now take on the fights they can win. They have to stop saying we want to break the filibuster, we want to change it this way because they're not doing it and they're just reminding the public right now how dysfunctional things are. I actually want the Democrats to stay in control because they are governing and they believe in democracy, but they have to. It is, it's, <laughs> it's what we always get. The worst press, lying bra. I'm not a liberal, really? Chuck Todd, it seems like nothing the White House can do to improve their political standing. These days, it does feel like every week there's another poll, a new bottom, and some of it out of their control. His two big promises were to get COVID behind us and get rid of Donald Trump. COVID's not behind us. Donald Trump is still lurking. Where? Where is he lurking? Where are the QAnon shaman and Proud Boys and Boogaloos and where's the violence? Trump doesn't even have social media. I haven't heard anything from Trump since he left office. He can't get on TV. Fear dem democratic disunity will lead to GOP wins. Frank Bruni. Democrats have never possessed Republicans' talent for unity, but the intensity of the anger and the angst are striking, especially given the stakes. A Republican takeover of Congress in 2022 and the presidency two years later could endanger more than social safety net. It would imperil democracy. It, basically, it's that fear. That's all they have now. They couldn't do COVID. Uh, all the shit about Trump's false. America knows it. We now know that they were part of everything. Oh, here, here's one that nobody wants to talk about. New IRS disclosure confirmed flood of private money to election offices from the Zuckerberg grantee. So Molly Hemingway does a book, and now there's a bunch of... They don't cover that book. There's no book tour for Molly Hemingway, including Fox, except the late night. And now there's all this info that shows that Facebook was running polling stations. We're, we're not going to cover that, though. We're not going to cover that one of Chris Cuomo's senior producer was sexually molesting little girls. 
And then we have the spin, and I'm not going to post these. I'm just going to I'm just going to go back to the picture. It, it says it all. Nine examples of media putting senseless spin on spiking inflation. Bloomberg, some of the advice how to cope with rising inflation includes spend your paycheck right away. Paul Krugman, supposed to be an economist, the great disinflation after the 1970s was associated with soaring, not falling in equity, mostly not casual, but hardly supportive of the claim. Inflation especially hurts the poor has truthiness. It sounds like it should be true, but I don't see either evidence or the mechanism. I don't know how that one supports anybody because it's garbage. The taxpayer-funded NPR had the audacity to publish a December 13th segment headline, Inflation is hitting people hard, but some workers are seeing higher wages. Okay, that helps you when everything costs more and you get higher wages. It's a net zero. You, You don't improve in life, dumbass. Your raise doesn't cover the inflation. Where I work, we put people at $12 an hour. That is a liberal jerk fest. But they still can't get health insurance. They still have a hard time filling up their gas tank. They still can't afford fucking Christmas dinner. Because even though it's more than maybe 10 or 9 or what most retail starts at, fuck me running, Johnny. Even I, a person that has a pension, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to stop, has a pension and disability on top of a decent salary with bonus structure. When I fill up that gas tank, I say, what the fuck, Chuck? When the wife goes grocery shopping, she goes, what the fuck, Chuck? When the bills come in, they're all higher for in- for freaking energy. And oh, by the way, the tax rate's going to ass rape all of us because he pulled out the, the Trump shit because anything Trump's got to be bad. So now we're not going to get a tax return. Our fucking... Because of inflation, my house went up $50 a month last year. Guess what? It's going to be another 50 If I whisper it by like Biden, I guess it's not as fucked up as having to go from a rent that was under $700 five years ago to being $850 just for taxes because everything costs more. One of my workers, my assistant manager, wanted to buy a house. I told her I wouldn't buy shit right now because it, there's this is going to bump. Remember, they started all the Franny Mae shit again. They're giving anybody a house if you're the right color. And then they're not going to be able to pay for it. So all this is going to pop again. And you're going to have a house that today I could sell my house for about $280,000. That's right. But it ain't going to be two eighty dollars next year. This shit's going to blow the fuck up. I'm not an economist, but I'm pretty smart on the fact that this can't last forever. It's all going to blow up. AP tells us Americans, December 12th, not to panic about 1970s stagflation. Repeat, because many economists expect inflation to be moderate in 2022. Yeah, that's not happening. December 10th, Political Morning Money Newsletter tried to pass the blame for spiking inflation on big business. That's where you get the big pork, big beef, big milk, the fucking tic-tac conglomerate, because everything costs more. Another PBS that we paid for. Build Back Better bandwagon promoted December 10th headline. Head, the headline was how the White House plans to tackle inflation, how the Build Back Better bill ease it. 
How in the name of Zeus's ass crack is more money pumped in the economy going to help inflation? Remember, I, 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 I have some college. I don't have a degree, but I do remember economics from high school. There's too much money chasing too few goods. Thus, the goods cost more. These are the people of science. This is starting to show that their math is racist. is really fucking their heads up. Atlantic piece trying to pull the wool over readers' eyes by claiming inflation will ease as the pandemic does. No, because simultaneously they're trying to pass their John Lewis, we control, as in we, the federal Democrats, control all elections so we never lose again because we did it last time and it really worked well for us. We got 81 fucking million votes for a guy who never campaigned out of his basement. These fucking people, they will lie. They will lie. NPR upset poll finds bad at Biden numbers. Dems not getting credit for massive spending. Whole article is not, it's devoid of facts. It doesn't make any sense. You're basically just showing your crazy ass math is racist shows you don't know shit about math. New York Times pushing double mask again. And then the, the articles like this just crack me up. Will God forgive us? Writer with a cold reveals that the whole country is sick with Omicron, with fear, with hate. It's time to put on violence. Sad face. A little bit lower. That's perfect. I am sick. Not with COVID, but with the cold that unsettles me. The longer it lingers. What a strange time to be sick with anything at all. To feel ill now is to be in sync with misery beyond your own person. The whole country is sick with Omicron, with fear, with hate. We move towards something new, something terrible. I don't mean to deny COVID continuing presence, wrote Matthew Walther in The Atlantic. If you read that magazine, you're probably pretty psycho. A load-bearing sentence. Ooh. What I wish to convey is that the virus simply does not factor into my calculations. Are those of my neighbors who have been forgoing mass tests unless work imposes them, in which case... They are shrugged off as the usual BS from human resources. And other tangible markers of COVID-19's existence for months, perhaps even longer. Eight hundred thousand people are dead. Most of them died under Biden now. Oh, he, he didn't write that. More will die soon. 
And Walther, a devout Catholic, says nothing of grief. Such nihilism invites a question. Will God forgive us? Scene. The reality is, it's because these people don't live in the real world. Watching Saturday Night Live last night, and and I, I'm, you know, let me see if I can get that. Let, let, let's. I think before I read the final articles to show that they don't live in the world we do, SNL opening last night. Let me see if I can find this video because these people. Yeah, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Hanks. Hello, 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 thank you. I'm Tom Hanks. Thank you, surviving crew members. Tonight, everyone at Saturday Night Live planned to do our big Christmas show and induct a new member into the Five Timers Club, but COVID came early this year. So in the interest of safety, we do not have an audience. And we sent home our cast, most of our crew. But I came here from California. And if you think I was going to fly 3,000 miles and not be on TV, well, you got another thing coming. And I am not alone. Isn't that right, Tina? Woo! here and this is not the smallest audience I have ever performed for because I have done improv in a Macy's. <laughs> Tina, another five-timer, thank you for joining me. As you know, I started the five-timers club. Oh, like you started COVID. <laughs> exactly. And tonight we plan to welcome Paul Rudd to the club and we are not going to let this stop us. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Rudd. <laughs> Yeah, good to see you. The whole country's back on. But not these Wahoos. They're done. They're just done. They're in a different world. And it's right here. New Biden administration sent talking points today touting their accomplishment to some reporters. Some. The ones they know that will fluff their shit it can only be described as a war on reality sorry i got the heater on i am roasting end of year numbers first vaccination rates without mentioning that the admin inherited three vaccines from their predecessor biden claims credit for a 70 percent jump in vaccine vaccine rate year on year a year ago the first vaccine had been administered one week prior so of course tax rates fax rates were low but when biden was sworn in the u.s was vaccinating citizens of the fifth highest highest rate in the developed world that number has fallen dramatically under biden And the school opening status, despite not because of the ad men, who have repeatedly pushed for anti-teacher science. White House considers teachers union labor dispute before releasing reopening guidance. The same ham-fisted, let me just move this over here. 
applies the stats on job creation too. Was anything happening in the last three to five months of the Trump administration? They didn't create jobs. I'm just going to go through that. I'm not even going to talk about this. You're smart enough to know that's just a lie. It is just a lie. A complete lie. They didn't create jobs. The jobs just opened back. But it gets more ridiculous when the Biden man tries to combat reality on inflation. Biden touts his aggressive actions to address prices and attempted to elide the prices for consumer goods are near a 40-year high as a result of his policy. Absent from this is that nearly 70% of Americans think Biden's doing a bad job at handling inflation. 70 fucking percent. I mean, how bad things can be to include gas prices dropping 10 cents? The Biden men can spin these facts all they want, but it clearly isn't convincing voters. His disapproval rate is over 50%, fully six points below Obama at this point before the 2010 midterm. They're going to get beat the fuck down. So that's why they're trying to jimmy the vote again. Seven reasons why this is jacked. Since Democrats want to talk about their voting rights bill, a reminder that much of H.R. 1 is unconstitutional. One, requiring website media to keep logs of ads about politics for disclosures, violates 1A. Requiring disclosures of donors to private advocacy groups, they're not going to report theirs. Imposing redistricting commissions violates anti-commandeering doctrine. Mandating manner of presidential election violates Article 2, Section 1. Requiring a code of conduct for SCOTUS justices violates separations of power. Requiring POTUS candidates to release tax returns violates Article 2, Section 1. Overturning Citizen United violates 1A. And none of the bill actually addresses the true danger in elections going forward. A Trumpian power play where state-level bad actors refuse to acknowledge the actual vote outcome and prevent the certification of electoral votes in order to seat a losing candidate. And most importantly, this very week, Dem Governor declares COVID emergency over, won't enforce mask. And you probably, unless you watch conservative media or listen to conservatives on social media, never heard that. That guy was a zealot. He was a COVID zealot and he realize this is just fucking stupid the thing that's so funny about it for the new york area because i played the snl bit folks they're just trying to out liberal each other because they know liberals eat this shit up with a fucking spoon they love this covid shit so fucking de blasio and Hokuth, or whatever the fucker name is, they're just trying to out-COVID themselves. Remember, the President of the United States said he was going to eradicate COVID, something he could never do. COVID is going to be the seasonal flu going forward. Even if you're thrice punched with that needle, you're just going to get a little cold. You're not going to die. But as stated on the show over and over, my sainted mother is still scared of this shit. She still believes it's all over. I mean, it just... 
When they even get interviewed by their own people, it ends like this. I'm here having a God's honest conversation with Vice President Kamala Harris. What happened to that student loan money? What happened to the $10,000 promised to the, to the students with student loan debt? So I know you had Secretary Cardona on recently, and, and I'll tell you, he is working to, to increase relief for students. And, I, you know, look, I get it. I get the issue that you're talking about. I, I, had, I had student loans. I mean, look, it's right now we have so many people, tens of millions of people in, in the United States who are dealing with student loan debt and responsibilities, and it, it's standing in the way of them being able to start a family or buy a home. And that's real. That is real. You know, we need you to be the superhero that saves democracy. Somebody has to push back on Joe Manchin. That guy is stopping progress. He's ruining democracy. Are you willing to be that superhero? Because what scares me is if voting rights don't pass or the Build Back Better plan doesn't pass or police reform doesn't pass, I doubt you're going to get black people to go out there and vote in 2022 and 2024. And, you know, Trump will be president again. What, what's the plan for all of that? Well, I couldn't agree with you more on the, the, the seriousness of these issues and, and, and how people take these issues seriously. And so we're going to have to keep fighting on voting rights. We need to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. We need to pass the Freedom to Vote Act and be relentless about pushing for that, which is what we have been doing and what I certainly am going to keep doing. We need to keep pushing for what we got to do to, to really reform the system that we know needs to be reformed with the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. But, you know, again, Republicans stood in the way to get that done. So what did we do? Well, through the D Department of Justice, we banned chokeholds and carotid holes. We said that law enforcement at, at the federal level, where we have the power to do it without Congress, that they have to wear body cameras when they're serving warrants. Uh, we put in place investigations of police departments that are active investigations right now. We are supporting consent decrees. So we are doing those things in the face of Republican opposition, but we cannot give up. None of us can. And, and, and the reality is because the issues are too serious and they impact everybody every day and i agree with you they're but very serious i who's the superhero that's going to speak against joe manchin no i want to know who's the real president of this country is it by is it joe biden or joe manchin i'm sorry i just want i interrupted i'm sorry the vice president can't hear you it's the mama i'm so sorry Charlie. we she she can hear me can you hear me now can you hear me madam okay. vice president oh, i'm sorry you got a rap Oh. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. They're acting like they can't hear me. Y'all see that? <laughs> I can hear you. Oh, so who's the I real? So who's the real president of this country? Is it Joe Manchin or Joe Biden, Madam Vice President? Come on, Charlemagne. I really. Come on. I, it's Joe Biden. I can't no, tell. No, sometimes. no, 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 no. It's Joe Biden, and don't start talking like a Republican about asking whether or not he's president. Do you think Joe Manchin and, is and a problem? It's Joe, and, it's Joe, and it's Joe Biden, and I'm vice president, and my name is Kamala Harris. And the reality is, because we are in office, we do the things like the child tax credit, which is going to reduce black child poverty by 50% on track to do that. We do things that are about saying that our Department of Justice is going to do these investigations and require 
that we end chokeholds and have body cameras. It is the work of saying we're going to get lead out of pipes and paint because our babies are suffering because of that. It is the work of saying people who ride public transit deserve the same kind of dignity that anybody else does. So let's improve that system. It is the work of saying that we have got to bring down prescription drug costs because folks who have diabetes should not be dying because they don't have enough money in their pocket. It's about saying black maternal mortality is a real issue that must be treated by everybody, including the White House, as a serious issue. I hear the frustration, but let's not deny the impact that we've had and agree also that there is a whole lot more work to be done. And it is not easy to do, but we will not give up. And I will not give up. I just want you to know that that, that Madam Vice President, that, that Kamala Harris, that's the one I like. That's the one that was putting the pressure on people in Senate hearings. That's the one I'd like to see more often out here in these streets. Th thank you for joining us, Madam Vice President. I'm glad to be with you. I'm Absolutely. glad to be with you. Thank Appreciate you. you. Give Maya All my right. love, too, and Doug. All right, you take care. Give your family my love. I want to see those babies. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We've got more to God's honest truth. In just and if I haven't made my point from front to end as we close out the show, any other administration say the following, they would be gutted like a fish. Remember, everything I've shown, everything I've talked about, there's no fact-checking. There's no 1,000 Trump, WAPO, running fucking fact-check shit. They're not covering any of this crap. This is a State Department's person saying this. Standing here in December, that strategic decision remains the right decision. For the first time in 20 years, there are no U.S. troops in harm's way in Afghanistan this holiday season. We safely and effectively drew down our diplomatic presence. We lifted tens of thousands of vulnerable Afghans to safety in a unique American example of capacity, commitment, and sheer logistics. Thirteen soldiers died. Everything tactically was wrong. All they were talking about was Nazis and QAnon and General Milley being woke. I watched the Congressional Medal of Honor ceremonies and they literally were saying, Joseph Biden, the President of the United States, because they're still obsessed with Trump, because their people are obsessed with Trump. And he talked about Milley and his combat record. The motherfucker was an ADC. He wasn't doing any combat. He wasn't Frank with Narek on a fucking hillside fighting off bad guys like my brigade commander. He was a general officer in the rear with the gear. That's how he spent so much time learning the woke. Learning it. So that wraps up another episode of Flower Politics Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Go to foppodcast.com where you find links to Rumble and SoundCloud for all shows. As stated, I'm going to try the 24th to do a Christmas one. As I finish bumping my gums, you're going to see a nice little sound bite from one of my favorite movies of all time, Scrooge from 1970, to get us in the Christmas spirit. Because it's very hard. I have articles already, Christmas sucks. And as this show and the million things that I missed, we're living in a time where a party took power through obfuscation, blaming a president for everything, impeaching him for the most netnoid things that this president's actually done, and actually saying he killed people with COVID, kind of like Mitt Romney gave people cancer. Well, this guy's had more people die under his watch. They have raised 
inflation so bad with their poor policy of socialism, giving everybody free and nobody wants to go back to work because the labor participation is the lowest it's ever been. There are people that could work. They're not going to. They said, fuck it. We're going to quit. And they blame COVID. They blame big meat. They blame poultry. They blame everybody but themselves. It's their policies. And they get to do it. And there's no media like under Trump or Bush or Bush Sr. or Reagan. There's no holding people accountable. Holding powerful people accountable. That's all we heard. When democracy dying in the dark and facts first which now garners about 500,000 viewers per show because even their people don't watch it anymore because it's all lies. They just keep lying and spinning and making a boogeyman. January 6th, COVID. We've gone back and forth a million times. Now we're in a COVID, locking everything down. Another dark winter like last year, thinking it's going to get people out to vote. But you've gone so goddamn extreme that normal liberals are saying, fuck this shit. When you lose independence and your own base, you done fucked up. So, next Friday, the 24th, a Christmas podcast. And then I promise you as the new year turns, I'm going back to two a week, slideshows, and taking two days off. I have a sixth person coming on the staff, and I'm going to start debracing. For everybody out there, this Christmas soundbite goes to you. Thank you for listening. I still get a lot of listens, and I ain't putting out shit, and what I put out isn't very good. As my bro put out, all you heard was a downloader make a noise, which I can't. I got to get rid of that thing. I don't even know what fucking program that is, but it's killing me. But you keep listening, and I appreciate it. Y'all take care. Disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. Give your family love. And tune back in next Friday where we're going to deck the fucking halls. Take care. If I may, that our unanimous attitude is one of lasting gratitude for what our friend has done for us tonight. And therefore, I would simply like to say thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. I makes a double touch, but my delight is such. I feel as if a losing war's been won for me. And if I had a flag, I'd hang me flag out to add a sort of final victory touch. But since I left me flag out home, I'll simply have to say thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. It sounds a bit bizarre, but things the way they are. I feel as if another life's begun for me. And if I had a cannon, I would...